Hi, I'm Mary Swander, your host for Ag Arts from Horse and Buggy Land. I'm the executive director of Ag Arts that imagines and promotes healthy food systems through the arts. I'm also an award-winning author of poetry, nonfiction, and drama. I've created these podcasts to explore agriculture in place in intersection with the arts. I've found my place living in an old one-room schoolhouse in the middle of the largest Amish settlement west of the Mississippi River. I hope you enjoy these episodes filled with stories of my neighbors, music, interviews with townspeople, farmers, and artists who are all in community seeking to be good stewards of the land. How have I found my place in the Free Martintown community? Here's a little story that will tell you of one of my evolving roles. One day in the town library, I saw my friend Jake, a young old order Amish man, bent over the computer, his hand on the mouse, peering at the screen. For a few minutes, I watched him struggle, clicking this way and that, trying to find the path of the cursor, puzzling over the form that needed his information before he could proceed. Can I help you, Jake? I asked. Ah, yes, he sighed. I'm trying to make a reservation at the state park. It has to be made on the computer, and I'm not really understanding what they want. The Amish, of course, don't have electricity, let alone an internet connection. Yet almost every aspect of farming and American life now takes place online. Okay, we can do this together, I told Jake, pulling up a chair beside him. He was on the reservations page that was wanting his name and address. We filled in those things easily. Then we hit phone number. What are we going to put down there? The Amish don't have telephones in their homes. Just skip that one, Jake said. Can't. It has an asterisk beside it. If we don't put down something, the reservation won't go through. Jake thought for a moment. Then he said, Okay, then put down 1-800-HORSE-AND-BUGGY. After that, I became the go-to person in my neighborhood for all online questions. Soon, my neighbors figured out that not only did I have some basic computer skills, but I had the internet hooked up in my house, which could eliminate a long trip to town. They also discovered the wonders of email. First, a message filled with photos of black Angus cattle from Texas popped up on my screen. What in the world? Then a knock came on the door, and Eli stood on the porch. Did you get those black Angus? he asked. Eli was considering buying them, but when I showed him the pictures, he just shook his head. Nope, not purebreds. He said, schooling me and how to tell the difference from a mixed breed. Soon, I could tell the difference between a good used bean head and a bad one, a J.I. case versus a John Deere disc, and dry and liquid manure spreaders. I developed a proficiency on tractorhouse.com 
machinerypete.com and Craigslist. Were you able to search for that New Holland forager? Malin asked one day when I passed him on the road. I found one, I said, but you don't want it. Too much rust. I learned how to evaluate hours and cab seats, buckets and balers, paint jobs and tire wear. I learned the price of shipping costs. I learned that if a tractor was anywhere within a hundred mile radius, an Amish man would drive it home over the back roads, the January wind blowing into his face. I learned to put in bids on online auctions, list implements on the sites, and I even became the broker for local sales. Did Mervyn Yoder get himself a corn picker yet? Malin asked me one day. Not yet. We've scrolled through the websites, but anything he could afford was in Belize. Well, tell him to hold off. Tell him to hold off. I'll sell him my picker. And the deal was made. And what was my commission? Never again have I had to shovel out my driveway in January or prune my own fruit trees in February. And no one driving down my March pothole-gutted road would know why I get a special load of gravel dumped in front of my lane, keeping the entrance to my internet cafe open and accessible for business. One of the farmers who usually travels down my road is a neighbor named Monroe Rop. One day I saw Monroe coming up the road hauling his liquid manure tank. A little further up the road, he ran into a problem, and his solution won him a front-page story in the Free Martin News. Paul Roberts, another neighbor, farmer, and bluegrass musician, read the story and was so impressed, he wrote The Ballad of Monroe Rock. And here's Paul with his great bluegrass herons to sing it for you. Monroe Rop and Lester Yoder hauling liquid down the road. Six thousand gallons in each and every one would spread back and forth they took their turns when a house began to burn now when monroe saw the garage attached to the house on fire he said to himself das Haus ist in fire and he hop and load meist lester said yeah i hop and load meist i will draw das user which i'm told loosely translates to sure you got a load of manure but do you have the guts to use it driveway and made for the garage fully intending a big brown barrage he backed up to the fire got close enough to stop put the pto in gear and sprayed that slop monorop pop 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 he gave the house a real dirty but it smelled very good when the house still stood. Monroe, pop, 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 pop
Bill Monroe always said, how do you fight fire with fertilizer? Well, Monroe Robbie put that fire out. Pop, 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 pop. He saved the house. There isn't any doubt. Pop, 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 pop. He put the honey right on the money. Pop, 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 pop. That Amish was thinking, though, the house it was thinking. Pop, 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 pop. Home, Monroe. Pop, 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 pop. Well, it wasn't his house, and it wasn't his spreader. Wasn't his fire, wasn't even his manure. But let me tell you this, it was his moment. Well, the fire department headed for the smoke. But Monroe got there first, it is no joke. He was a little quicker and his liquid was thicker. Monroe, pop, 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 pop. Now you might think it's funny, but it saved a lot of money. Monroe, pop, 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 pop. Home and Sighted in Johnson County. When the fire department got there from the town, pop, 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 from Kelowna. They took one sniff and then they hosed it down, pop, 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 with water. Now you might think it's funny, but it saved a lot of money. Yeah, he saved the day in a fragrant way. Minor up, pop, 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 pop. Home and roll. Rop, pop, 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 pop. Let me tell you, I'm just glad he wasn't driving a gas truck. Ferguson, 35 loader tractor, 18 foot Kiwani disc, 13 DMI chisel plow, 8 foot international chisel plow, John Deere sickle mower, PTO driven generator, and my 20 foot harrow and the harrow gator. That's the opening from my play called Farmscape, The Changing Rural Environment. I wrote this play with my students at Iowa State University, and I sent them all over the state to interview farmers, seed dealers, all bed and breakfast owners, people that are involved in the changing rural landscape. They each came back with an interview and then we 
sliced and diced them together until we had a play about what's happening in the farmscape right now. And eventually it was published by Ice Cube Press. You can get on their uh, website, Ice Cube Press, and get a copy if you like. So one of the students came back with a character named Martin and Martin had lost his farm in the farm crisis of the 1980s. And his interview began with just this litany of implements. And I couldn't figure out what was going on exactly in the interview at the beginning. And then I realized these were implements that were auctioned at the farm auction where he lost his farm, essentially. And he could still visualize and name every single implement that he lost and he had used for years and years on that farm. Martin had an incredible story. His parents had divorced. He and his brother, they were just teenagers, took over the farm at a time when interest rates were 19%. And they tried to keep it going, but they finally gave up and then ended up in this situation, which <laughs> many people who had been farming for 40 years and had a lot of expertise ended up in this situation. But, you know, it, it, it's just a heartache when you lose a farm. People don't quite get at it if you haven't grown up farming. I've been asked many times by um, lawyers and other people that are involved in the transactions, like, why do people get so emotional about this? And, you know, it's just a business. It's just an asset like any other asset. Well, if you read Farmscape, you'll understand why people get emotional about it. Back to Martin. It's an auction, you know, my auction. People come in and everything goes that day. You're surrounded by family, friends, and neighbors who are there to support you because they understand the difficulty of the situation that you're going through. But they're always there to look for a good deal, too. Boy, they'd just as soon buy that tractor $1,000 cheaper than pay $1,000 more. And then he goes back to his tractor and his implements and the litany and exactly what these things mean to him. John Deere 4030, which didn't mean a thing to me. John Deere 4020, which meant everything to me. The 4020 tractor had a lot of symbolic value for some reason. I don't know why. I planted with the 4020. It was my original tractor when I started farming. And there's something about the 4020. It's sentimental value. It has a representation that says, this is what farming is. I mean, it was sex. There's no doubt about it. The John Deere 4020 was sexy. Yeah, it was the tractor that everybody wanted to drive, you know. You were out there in the open. It didn't matter if you got rained on or whatnot. 
In contrast to Martin, we also had a man named Donald in the show, and he was an older gentleman, farmer, who had farmed during the years when they used horses. I remember when I was a boy, they'd pick the corn by hand. What they had were these narrow, square-box wagons with iron or wooden wheels that the horse would pull. You'd take the corn, throw it in the wagon, and when they'd walk past the wagon, they'd holler, Giddy up! And the horse would go, and they'd want it to stop, and they'd yell, Whoa! Then at the end, they'd scoop the corn into the corn crib. It was a lot of work in them days. And Grandpa used to have a hell of a time with the horses. They just didn't do what they were supposed to do. But horses were everything. They planted corn with horse-drowned corn planters. They cut hay with the horses, too. The sickle mower. They went from using the hand size to using these early sickle mowers. Then 15 years ago, I got the harebrained idea that I could be a farmer. Bought a small farm, 80 acres. We tried to operate as cheap as we could. No, we couldn't make any money either. You just can't. If you're a little guy, you can't. By the time we paid for the machines and the seed and the fertilizer and everything else, some years we were lucky to break even. So after 10 years of trying to be a farmer, I got out, sold the farms. I honestly don't know how the big guys do it either. By the time you buy the combine, the grain head, the bean head, you're talking half a million dollars. That's big bucks. You're talking $150,000 for a corn planter, maybe even more. Then you still need a four-wheel drive tractor and so on. A million dollars and you couldn't buy all the implements you need. And for a million dollars worth of equipment, you got to farm a lot of acres. As you get the bigger tractors, you need more land to pay for the cost of it. Most of these big farms, they got three to 10,000 acres. The whole thing's crazy. Everybody buying up everybody else's farms. And for what? So Martin, who had his implements in his head after 20 years and could remember that auction over and over again, you could see that it was haunting him. It was a trauma for him. We were doing the show, and he keeps mentioning that he had a brother, Ben. And so they were the two teenagers that kept the farm going. It was just the mother and the two sons and the sisters. And they kept the farm going as best they could. You could tell it was a real struggle. And one of my favorite stories about this play is we were performing it um, at a community college, as I remember it. And we were doing the show, and you know, we had a nice little audience, and we uh, have the performance, and then afterwards we have a talk back where we get the audience to respond and interact, and I would lead that discussion. And so I opened up the talk back, and you never know what's going to happen at these events. And um, there was a man in the front row, and he had his family there. And he was uh, dressed up in a three-piece suit, and um, he's 
stood up. He was the first one to stand up. And he said, I, I just want to thank you for bringing this show here and for all the people that performed in it. I thought, well, isn't that nice? And then he burst into tears. And he said, I'm Ben. I'm the brother that's mentioned in this show. And that was my auction that you saw in front of you. God gives us what we need when we need it, which is not necessarily what we want when we want it. Words of wisdom today from Plain Interest. The Amish newspaper comes out about once a month, and Amish write in from all over the country telling their stories, asking for help for uh, various things, ills and things that they need. And then in my line of business that I'm in now, I am particularly drawn to the ads. They have a lot of implements in these ads, everything from a mechanical log splitter to here's one that Monroe Rapp would be interested in, the ESL Manufacturing Liquid Manure Handling Solutions. And here's a little picture, black and white picture of a square box semi-liquid manure spreaders. That's for Monroe. And then on the opposite page, we have, this is classy, 748 Freedom Plow, the white horse model. Performs at the highest level of comfort, ease of operation and maneuverability in draft power history. And here we have some details from the plow. It has a mechanical lift clutch, coulter clamps. And here's one of the things that I've queued into selling online implements is the seat. It's a deluxe seat with torsion suspension. And it is adjustable for five, six, seven, or eight horses. A little picture of an Amish man driving. Looks like five horses on that, with that plow. So, thumbing through the pages here, there's a great story that comes to my attention about buggy accidents. Many English, those are non-Amish people, come to visit me and they're very perplexed. They're like, how come these Amish are driving down the road and they've got tractors and all these modern implements? Well, they're not really modern because um, there are a lot of requirements for the implements, which I've figured out. First of all, they can't have a cab. And um, so that limits the year of, say, a tractor. Yeah, it's really pre-1970s. And I've actually done some deals where we got a tractor and then the Amish man cut off the cab. And um, I don't exactly know what it is about cabs, but I think it's that modern cabs uh, have um, radios in them and things like that, and they keep you out of the elements. And so you can't have a cab. You also can't have rubber tires on the wheels of the tractor in some Amish sects. And in uh, other Amish sects, you can have the rubber tires. And then sometimes the bishop, the, who's like the 
pastor of the district, uh, the church group, will make a change of the rules. And we had a change of the rules here this winter where um, the bishop said, uh, okay, you can have rubber on your wheels uh, if you need it. And um, so uh, everybody decided that they needed it. And the reason why they didn't have rubber on the wheels in the first place was because if you have rubber on your tractor uh, tires, then your teenage son can take the tractor and, you know, go into town and ride the one ways with it. So uh, as soon as the rubber came onto those tires this winter, all these teenage sons hopped on the tractor and they were heading for town. And the bishop said, no, 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 no. We have, we have rubber on the tractors if you need to like haul a trailer and otherwise they drive on the rims without the rubber and they tear up the road. And so he said, no, no, it's just for hauling things, making it easier to attach a trailer and haul something down the road. So a couple of weeks later, I saw all these tractors headed to town by young Amish teenagers with empty trailers attached. Department headed for the smoke, but Monroe got there first. It is no joke. 